this morning, please turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, our Portraits of Christ series. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. The Lord Jesus Christ has just finished what we believe to be the Passover dinner with his disciples. Of course, he may not have been able to have it at the same time as everybody else because he would become the Passover that next day. He just finishes the meal and he washed the disciples' feet. You remember last week we looked at Jesus, the humble servant, as he laid his garments aside and took a little bowl and a towel and he washed all of their feet. Now the dinner is ended and Jesus says in verse 18, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop, when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said unto him, That thou doest, do quickly." Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, but buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Let's pray together. Father, help us this morning. Father, folks have come today with their burdens, and their pains, and their hurts. Some are... Suffering physically, some mentally, some spiritually. And Father, we know that you are the remedy for all these things. So Father, we ask, Lord, today that you speak to our hearts and remind us that Jesus is the lover of our soul. And Lord, for a while it may seem that this message is off point. And it may seem that the title has been inappropriate. But Lord, help us to stay fast to the end that we might hear the conclusion of the matter, how much Jesus really loves us. Father, I need your help, and I pray that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit today. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may think that after reading this text this morning of one of the darkest days in history, really, the day that the Lord Jesus Christ would understand and realize that one of his own were going to betray him. Another was going to deny that they knew him. 
and the rest would forsake him and flee throughout the night. You may think that I've chosen an odd title, Jesus, the lover of our soul, but if you'll hang in till the end, you'll get to the conclusion. As a matter of fact, it will seem likely through most of the message that the title is way off base. It's not a random title. It's not something I've just picked, but it's meant to plant a seed in your mind early on. As we discuss some of these more difficult things we'll see in this passage of Scripture, just be reminded that Jesus loves us nonetheless. Be reminded today that Christ wants to forgive us. I understand that I'm overemphasizing this, but I want you to consider some of these startling facts, but just remember, Jesus loves you. That's the motive behind everything that Christ will reveal to us through Scripture this morning, is His love for His children and His church. This love is not exclusive. It isn't available to only you. It's available to the whole world, those that would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ loves His church so much that He's willing to correct His own children in order to keep it pure. The Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. I want you to notice a couple things about the Lord this morning. We only have two points. We have a lot of subpoints, but we only have two. The first thing I want you to see is his knowledge of our heart. His knowledge of our heart. If you look at the scripture with me in verse 21 this morning, you'll see what the Bible says. It says, When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. This narrows it down from a general knowledge to a special knowledge. The Lord Jesus Christ had just finished quoting a scripture just a, a few verses before. The Bible says in, in verse uh, 18, I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. I want you to understand this morning is that the Lord Jesus Christ was sitting at the Last Supper with the disciples. He didn't happen to look around the room and it suddenly occurred to him, do you remember that scripture? I recall reading that scripture that he that would break bread with me would raise his heel against me and you know this might be the fulfillment of that. It's not something that just snuck up on Jesus or occurred to him. It, he didn't look around the room and thought, hmm, I wonder who it is. This was not just a general knowledge of the fulfillment of prophecy, but this was a special knowledge from the Holy Spirit that Judas would be the one. As a matter of fact, in verse 21, he narrows it down. He says, I send to you that one of you shall betray me. Some have thought that Jesus was a good teacher with a firm grasp on Scripture, and if he believed that he was the Christ, and he believed that he was the Messiah, that perhaps his knowledge of the Scripture would twist his mind in such a way that he would look at everything as a fulfillment in his own life, but that is not the case. Jesus knew very well who it was that would betray him. He could look into the darkest parts of Judas's heart, and already know that he had conspired against him for 30 pieces of silver. He already knew that while he was serving the bread and he was serving the cup and he was dining and enjoying a meal and he was kneeling and washing Judas's feet, he already knew that Judas was distracted that night. That there were evil forces at play and that Judas's heart was far from him. 
And he knew very well that Judas would step out from that table, go and find the soldiers and bring them into the garden where Jesus was praying and betray him with a kiss on the cheek. Jesus could see all of that. The scripture itself proves it to us where later on it says in verse 23, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, he it is. He it is. I know who it is. Of whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot the son of Simon. Judas, his heart was exposed to the Savior that day. What a chilling thought for us to think about. That God knows the intents of our heart. He knows how deceitful and wicked we can be. Judas, that night, had assembled himself with the other disciples. As a matter of fact, as plain as Jesus was, he says, I will take a sop, I will dip it, I'll drop it in their, in, in their bowl. And he says, whoever I do that to, that's going to be. And they did it. And the disciples said, still didn't know what he meant. They still couldn't see there was anything wrong with Judas. They didn't know, didn't, didn't notice that his, maybe his heart was racing a little bit and he was sweating a little bit and his, he was a little bit white and his hands were shaking and when Jesus would talk to him or look at him, he would bow his head because he couldn't meet his eyes and there was something going on that night that none of the disciples noticed. He fit right in with the church. And yet his heart was far from God. God, in the form of Jesus Christ, knew his heart, but Jesus knew the heart of all the disciples that night. The Bible says in verse 34 of the same chapter, John chapter 13, in verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have loved one to another. It's an interesting thing that occurred in my mind this week. Jesus Christ, from the very beginning, had been teaching people to love one another. Is that not true? Greater love hath no man than this. He taught the disciples to love one another. He, he, over and over, he taught about love and how we are to love one another. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And now he gets to the very end of his ministry on earth. His physical ministry on earth. And he says, I have a command for you. When people naturally love one another, do you have to command them to do it? You say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying Jesus could see their hearts. He knew that the disciples didn't truly love one another. Matter of fact, it was just a little while earlier that they're squabbling who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Who's going to sit at the right hand of Jesus? I am. No, I am. Even their mothers got involved. They didn't truly love one another. And Jesus said, I have a new command for you. You need to learn to love one another. Jesus knew the disciples' hearts as well. He knew Judas's heart. He knew the disciples' heart. Jesus also, by just further proof, knew the heart of Peter. Verse 38, the Bible says, Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not, the cock shall not crow until thou hast denied me thrice. Peter was the brave one, wasn't he? 
Peter was the one on Resurrection Sunday that John and Peter ran to the tomb, and the Bible says that John did outrun Peter. I love that when John wrote that in his own gospel. None of the other gospels say that, but John wanted everybody to know I can run faster than Peter. So he did outrun Peter, but he says, I stopped at the tomb, and Peter barged right on in. Peter was the bold one. Peter was the one that said, Lord, if it be thou, bids me to come to thee on the water. And he stepped out of the boat. He said, oh, but Peter failed. Hey, none of us would have even got out of the boat. He had some courage. It was Peter that raised his sword against those soldiers in the garden. It was Peter that was all talk. He was so brave. A burly old fisherman. But Jesus could see his heart. He said, Peter, the cock will not crow before you deny me thrice. And to add insult to injury, it was just a little maiden girl that he got the most scared of at the end and began to curse and swear to prove that he wasn't one of Christ's disciples. Jesus knew the heart of Judas. He could see the heart of all the disciples. He knew the heart of Peter. But I want you to know this tonight, or this morning, Jesus also knows your heart. Jesus can see our hearts. You say, preacher, you're right. Jesus, lover of my soul, is not a very good title for this message. We're getting there. Jesus knows your heart. Can I give you some scripture? Turn to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to encourage you to turn quickly this morning. Look at Romans chapter 8. Does anybody else like the sound of Bibles turning? Man, I like that. We, were, we went to that conference this summer, and Buddy Blunkle, an evangelist, he's going to be here next to Chicken on the Grounds. They sing a song, I love the old Bible, the precious old Bible. And they sang, and we didn't know. We were kind of outsiders. 1,200 people got their Bibles up in the air while they were singing that song. Man, what a, what a sight to see all those Bibles waving while they're singing, I love my old Bible. Romans chapter 8, look what the Bible says, if you will. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray as... Blah. Boy, I got that mixed up, didn't I? Let's try it again. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. With groanings which cannot be uttered. How does the Holy Spirit of God pray for me? Well, the next verse tells you, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. You know that I believe in the three in one. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And if God the Holy Ghost knows, Jesus knows. And if Jesus knows, the Father knows. They are the three in one. They are the great three in one. And so the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit searcheth our hearts. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. I just feel like we need to prove this from Scripture this morning, so we're going to look at a few verses. Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrows, and is what? A discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now wait a minute. This Bible I hold in my hand is quick and powerful. 
But the Bible says it has the power to discern the intents and the thoughts of my heart. It knows what I'm thinking. A book knows what you're thinking? Here, let me take it a step further. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is the living Word. This is, this is the Word. And it knows. Now listen, Jesus knows your heart. And he knows the thoughts and the, not, not just the thoughts, the intents of your heart. Not just what's going on now, but what you plan on doing. He knew what Judas was going to do. He knew what Peter was going to do. Turn, if you will, to another scripture with me this morning. Look at Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. You mean God knew what was going on in people's hearts all the way back then? God's been around a long time. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. This, of course, is the passage where Noah gets called to build an ark and he and his family are saved. But look why Noah had to build an ark. Verse 5, and God saw the, the... I'm doing it again. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. How did God know that? Because he can see your heart. He knows your thoughts. Their thoughts and their heart were wicked and evil continually. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 28. 1 Chronicles chapter 28. I'm glad it's taking you a long time because my pages are sticking. I find it humid. First Chronicles chapter 28, I'm almost there. Look at verse 9 with me. First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts if thou seek him he will be found of thee but if thou forsake him he will cast thee off forever does anybody have a dictionary here this morning maybe on your phone or your tablet somebody's got one look up the word all for me and tell me what it means he knows all our hearts he knows all of our thoughts it's not that difficult to understand the scriptures is it the Bible says he knows all of it. He, he's, he's warning Solomon, Solomon, know God of thy father. Serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. Why? Because he's searching your heart and he understands your imaginations and thoughts. Have the right heart before God. Psalm chapter 94. Psalm chapter 94. I know you didn't come to church to study your Bible, but just bear with me. Psalm chapter 94. Verse 11. The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man, but they are vanity. Boy, that one's real simple. The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man. Look just a few pages forward, Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me 
and lead me in the way everlasting. One more, Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15. Look at verse 26. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. How can God possibly know that their thoughts are wicked? Because he knows their thoughts. I begin to study this out, and I've given you nine verses. Do you know how many scriptures I found that tell us that God knows our thoughts and knows our heart and knows our imaginations? Over 120 in the scriptures that tells us that God knows everything about you. He knows what you're thinking. He knows when you're sitting here and saying, boy, this preacher just keeps making me turn my Bible. He knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. So let me ask you this. What are the ramifications of that? How does that affect us? Where does the rubber meet the road? If, if God really knows my thoughts, let me just ask you four questions this morning. First of all, have you taken the time to consider that God knows your thoughts? I mean, in principle, we know, well, God knows all things, and he sees my heart, and he knows these things. But listen, when we are thinking wicked thoughts, and our minds are wandering to things they ought not wander to, and something has been set before our eyes that should not be there, um, let me ask you this. Do you take the time to reflect and say, you know what? God knows what I'm thinking, and God knows my heart, and God knows how deceitfully wicked my heart is, and he knows where the intents are going with this. Because before we ever act, it starts as a thought. And eventually our thoughts turn to actions. Let me ask you this. Have you ever said, boy, I hope they can't read my mind right now. God can. Stories told about the little boy that went to school and, boy, he just didn't like his teacher. He didn't do his homework and he got in trouble one day for not doing his homework. And he said, well, you're going to have a detention after school. And he started getting lippy with her. He said, well, I don't think I deserve to. She says, one more word out of you, and you'll have a detention for the whole week. He says, well, can I get in trouble for what I think? She says, no, you can't get in trouble with what you think. He says, well, I think this is unfair. And he did get in trouble. But listen, God does know your thoughts. You don't have to verbalize them. And often we do say something like that. Maybe we're trying to be funny. It's a good thing he couldn't read my mind. It's a good thing he didn't know what I was thinking right about then. God does. In the Beatitudes, the Bible talks about murder. It's been said to them in old time that thou shalt not kill. But if a man hates in his heart, Jesus said, you've already killed him. You're already guilty. The thoughts and the intents of the heart. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever considered, have you ever taken inventory of your life and know that God knows your thoughts? Jesus knew the thoughts and intents of Peter's heart. He knew that Peter would deny him. He knew when the cock crew in Luke 22, it records that Jesus looked at Peter. Jesus, I don't believe throughout the night was close enough. I mean, there was a lot of people there for the feast. There were so many people there for the feast, we read about people out in the streets that couldn't find a place to sleep, and so they were gathered around little fires and things like that, trying to keep warm, there for the celebration and there for the Passover. They, they were there for a good time, and, and so everything that was going on that night, I can't believe that Jesus physically heard the three times that Peter denied him, but when the cock crew, Jesus looked across the courtyard and their eyes met. He said, how did he know? Because Jesus knows the heart. 
And by the way, right about then, Peter could read minds too. He knew exactly what Jesus was thinking about him. The Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. His heart was broken. Thank God Peter had the right response to biblical conviction. And he was broken in his sin. Here's the second question. Have you considered that your thought life interferes with your relationship with him? Have you considered that? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just asking questions this morning, and I'm going to give you a conclusion at the end. If the Lord is willing, I'm working, I, I've got a message mostly done, and I'm preparing it for tonight about how do we conquer our thoughts scripturally. It just, it just burned my heart after preaching this or studying for this that we need to have an answer. How do we defeat those thoughts? But have you considered that your thoughts interfere with your relationship with him just as our actions interfere with our relationship with others? If God can know our thoughts, it interferes with our relationship with him. Third question, have you considered that your thoughts hinder your prayer life? Holy Spirit's searching your heart. We go to God, we got to go without sin. We are to confess our sin. And then we know he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But have you ever considered that when we go to prayer, you think, well, what, what did I do this week? What are the things I confess? Well, I was unkind to Tony Baker and I, and I said something rude to Rob Judge. And, I, and, and we think about all the things and we confess those things and we get them right with God and we have some prayer time. But what about our thoughts? One of the scriptures we'll look at tonight is to bring every thought into captivity. That simply means that we have control over it. And that we stand accountable for it. Captivity means that somebody was placed in charge of a prison. This is the picture that is painted by that verse. Do you remember when Paul and Silas and the prison doors flew open? What did the prison guard, what was he going to do? He was going to kill himself. Why? Because he was accountable for those two. He said, I'm in charge. When the Bible says that we're to bring those thoughts into captivity, it means, hey, you're in charge of those and you're accountable for those thoughts. And if they're sinful thoughts, they'll hinder your prayer life. They'll stand between you and the holy God. Here's the fourth question. Have you considered that your thoughts are what you are? You see, what we see on the outside is just a facade. You can fool anybody. You can, you can, you can look right, dress right, smell right, talk right, smile right. And you can fool a whole lot of people. But the real man is what's going on in your heart and soul and mind. You say, well, prove that to me. I'm glad you asked. Proverbs chapter 23. Very simple verse. Proverbs chapter 23. I would encourage you to do this, to write this verse down and memorize it. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now there's a lot of context there and we won't get into all of it. And I assure you we're not taking this out of context. The Bible just simply says, for as as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. You are what you think. 
I'm not talking about this power of positive thinking today. I'm not talking about, well, we'll be better if we think better of ourselves. I'm not talking about ego and esteem and all that, all that stuff that we hear about so much in today's society. I'm saying what is going on in your heart and what is going on in your mind, that is what you are. The facade that we show to everybody else means nothing compared to what God sees. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the what? The heart. Have you taken time to consider that God knows your thoughts? Here's the second thing this morning. We recognize God's knowledge of the heart, but I want you to notice from this passage, turn back to John chapter 13. I want you to notice, secondly, his love for the soul. His love for the soul. Don't raise your hand this morning, but how many of you have sat here and thought, oh boy, does God really know what I'm thinking? Does God really know what's going on in my heart, my mind, and boy, I'm in trouble. Yeah, he does. Well, here's the good news. God still loves you nonetheless. That might make that more miraculous. That might make that a bigger deal. That God looks at your heart and he still loves you. Look what the Bible says in John chapter 13 in verse 21. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit. He said, well, where does it say he loves me? Here's what I've learned. In life, we get criticism, don't we? Doesn't matter what you do. Everybody's job is the hardest job on the face of the earth. At least that's what they think. Every job has its stresses. Everybody gets criticized at some point in their life. And here's what I've come to learn, that if it's somebody that I care about and love, Sometimes that hurts when they gossip or talk. Do you notice that as well? But if CTV News came on tonight and Lloyd Bridges was on their broadcast, is he still doing that? If Lloyd Bridges was still broadcasting the news and he got up there and he said, I think Al Fury is the worst preacher in Canada and he's nothing but a no good. Do you know what that would mean to me? Absolutely nothing. First of all, I'm not here to please Lloyd Bridges. But second of all, I don't know him. I, I wouldn't expect somebody that's presumably lost to have a high opinion of preaching anyway. We run into people all the time. We knock on their door and they slam the door in your face. You just shake the dust off and you go to the next door. You smile. You, we have people come to the fair and you see them and the kids, the, oh, the kids, they want to come over and talk to us and they want to play a game and they want to get a piece of candy and the parents are going, come on, come on, come on, come on. Don't go near them. It's like we're the plague or something, like we have leprosy. Don't go near them. I mean, they're going to swallow you whole or something. You say, does that bother you? No. I, I don't expect unsaved people to act any differently. That doesn't bother me. But the fact that Jesus was very troubled in spirit said, boy, I love this guy. I love this guy, and he's about to sell me out. He stabbed me in the back. 
He knew his thoughts, and yet he still washed his feet. He knew his thoughts, and he was still welcome at his table. He knew his thoughts, and he still loved him. Jesus is the lover of my soul. Here's the good news. Jesus knows your thoughts, and he still loves you. That does not excuse us from sinning. I don't want you walking out of here today and say, isn't this wonderful? I got a dirty, filthy mind, and I'm into all kinds of things I shouldn't be into, and yet God loves me. Hey, that's a wonderful thing to know, but that ought to motivate you to get your heart right with God. Because he was very troubled in spirit. Jesus was hurting because of what Peter was doing, or because of what Judas and Peter was doing. He knew their hearts, and yet he loved them. Imagine this. Just take a moment to picture this with me. Jesus, in the next 18 hours, was facing a scourging, a crown of thorns, nails through his feet and hands. They were going to rip his beard out. They were going to spit in his face. They were going to cover his head with some sort of bag and they were going to hit him, slap him, and smack him around and say, prophesy who hit you. They were going to make him drag a cross through the streets after his body was just racked with pain. They were going to put him on that cross and drop it into the ground and he was going to suffocate to death over the next few hours. And what was it that troubled his spirit? None of that. Not at that moment. What troubled his spirit was that his friend had evil thoughts and intentions in his heart. Boy, that really brings it down to something, doesn't it? I mean, come on. Doesn't that break your heart to think that Jesus is sitting there with a room that he thinks are his friends and all of Calvary lies before him and the thing that was bothering him at that moment that troubled him in his soul was that Judas is having some pretty bad thoughts right now. I don't know about you, but that woke me up. We ought to bring it into captivity. We are accountable for it. The heart of his friends is what concerned him the most. John chapter 13, in verse 1, the Bible says this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them how long? Unto the end. Supper being ended, the devil having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, what's that next word? Knowing. Jesus knew everything that was going on. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Jesus said, I knew everything that was going on that night. 
I knew that the Father had given all things in my hand. I knew that the devil had entered in the heart of Judas. I knew that he would go out and betray me. I knew that the disciples would forsake me and flee. I knew that Peter would deny me three times. You know what he did? He loved them unto the end. Listen, let me say this. The love of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a license for us to sin. It is an opportunity for us to get our hearts right with God. God is allowing us some time to get our lives right and get our hearts right. When he comes, he wants to find it a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. He desires a holy life. He commanded that we be holy as Christ is holy. And that starts with our hearts and that starts with our thoughts. Listen, you can clean up the outside. I read the story of a missionary. And he makes a great illustration. He was a missionary in Brazil for many years. And he lived on the 33rd floor of an apartment building. He said, you want to talk about hot. He says, go down by the equator and live on the 33rd floor of something. He says, man, it was incredibly hot. He says, we had some time where we, we were going to do a family vacation. We were going to get away for a few days and go down by the ocean. And so he says, we, we packed up our things. And he says, my wife said, did you unplug? And she asked him to unplug some appliance, whatever it was. And he accidentally unplugged the freezer. He says, we had a right full of meat. He says, we went away for a week and we came back. And you can imagine walking in that apartment. And he says, we smelled something. The freezer was still closed and sealed up, but he says after a week of 110 degrees every single day, 33 floors in the air, he says the sun beating on that apartment, and he says the freezer was out on a balcony so the sun could have direct hit on that thing every day. He said, we smell, what is that smell? He said, we walked around, and as we got closer to that freezer, we knew that it must be the freezer, and he says, I sheepishly looked and realized I'd unplugged it, and I went, oh no. He says, we opened that freezer, and he says, all of us like to die. The smell was so horrible. The meat was rotten. It was terrible. And here's his illustration. He says, so what did I do? He says, well, he says, I got a bucket of soap and water and I washed the outside of that freezer and that made it somewhat better. And he says, then I, I, I decorated it. I, he says, my daughters came and they colored on it and they put little polka dots and bows all over it and made it look real pretty. He says, then we went and bought another freezer and put it beside it so the freezer would have some friends. He says, no, that only cleaned up the outside. He said, the only thing that was going to fix that stench was get inside and clean out all the mess. He says, boy, it, it took a lot of work and it was hard. But he says, until we reclaimed that freezer, we had to start on the inside. Hey, that's the Christian life. We can reform the outside. It's a character reform we need. It's a changing of the heart. It's the changing of the mind. Doesn't Romans chapter 12 say, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're to be new creatures in Christ. That includes our mind, our thoughts, the things that we are thinking about. He said, did Jesus really love them to the end? What did Jesus say when he rose from the grave? Go and tell Peter. Peter, the one that denied him, the one that was struggling with his thoughts, the one that was always brash and burly, the one that rebuked Jesus Christ. No, you're not going to Jerusalem. Jesus loved him right to the end. He says, go and tell Peter that I'm alive. Let him know that I love him. Jesus 
love them anyway. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Perhaps one of the greatest miracles that takes place on a daily basis is simply this. God knows your heart and yet he chooses to love you anyway. That is not an opportunity for license to go out and sin. But that's God trying to say, won't you come closer and get your heart right? Imagine how God blesses us in our wickedness now. What would he do if we just humble ourselves and get our sin right with God? Maybe there's some here today that are struggling with that. If the Lord is willing, I believe at this point he is, tonight we'll talk about how do we have victory over this? How do we bring our thoughts captive? The Bible is very plain, and it can help us tonight. But let me encourage you, between now and tonight, why not acknowledge that you have a problem? It may be anger. Do you have a temper problem? Do you fly off the handle easily? That's a problem with the heart and the thoughts. Maybe it's something you're looking at that you shouldn't be looking at. Young people, maybe it's music. Music enters right into the heart, right into the thoughts. It corrupts us. Whatever it is, we need to surrender it and give it to God. Because whatever's going on on the outside, that's just a facade. Some of the greatest businessmen in the world look like the finest Christian gentlemen you ever meet, but you get into their hearts, and we see a different story. Let me say this, let's be careful about pride. Take heed lest you fall. Because if 12 men who spent three years sitting at the feet of Jesus can have this problem, any one of us can. There's no doubt in my mind. Even Paul said, I've had to learn whatsoever state I am there with to be content. I've had to learn. Let's stand to our feet this morning as the instruments play. If God has spoke to your heart, would you take some time and do business with God this morning? God has spoke to your heart. Won't you step out and come to this old-fashioned altar? Pray where you are, but do business with God today. God knows your heart. Maybe there's somebody here today that says, you know what, God's been looking at my heart. I've got everybody here fooled, but God knows I'm not his child. God knows I'm not saved. I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone to be my savior. I need to get that straightened around. I need to get that settled. Can we help you today? So one say, preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. Nobody's looking around. We won't embarrass you. I won't call your name, but could I pray for you today? Is there one? Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. If I were to die today, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. Would you just slip up your hand? It's in those private places where we think nobody can see that we feel safe. And yet it's where we can get in the most trouble. God sees. God searches the heart. 